Firstly, what I'd like you to do is to turn up, if you haven't already got it, that Bible passage that we've had read to us. It's on page 1037, and keep that open in front of you. And then we're going to do something that's a bit of fun. Okay, then, I want you to turn to the person next to you, with a mind to the person who sat around you, and tell them what your favorite sweets are and why you like them. You've got 35 seconds. Go. Right, that'll do. Now, having gleaned this important bit of information, I want you to tell another person what you've just heard. Okay, this is so-and-so, and they like blah. Do that now, quick. Okay, that'll do. Now, let me see, let me see, okay. One, two, three... Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, if you come out to the front. All right, so you go like that. Mary, you come with your back to him. Yeah. Yeah, okay. You come over here. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. You come over here. Right, yeah, do it like that. Yeah, I think that'll work. Oh, have we got a two, 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 two? No, you want another one? You come over here then. Round here, that's it. Right, okay. Now, we have to be very quiet. Okay? I want you to tell the person with their back to you, without turning round, please, the best holiday you've ever had. All at the same time. Go. All right, that'll do. Okay, so for those at the front, was that easy? Dead easy. Could you hear the person? Yeah. And you could, could you hear anybody else at the same time? Yeah. Bit of background noise. Would it have helped to look at the other person while you were telling them? Would you have gleaned a bit more? Okay, of course you would. Right, go and sit down. Okay, that's it. I used to train uh, would-be vicars. And part of that training involved teaching them listening skills. And that was often, in a listening skills course, one of the first things, the exercises I did with them. And uh, they are a rebellious bunch. They were always awkward about it. But we learned a little bit about the dynamics of listening to another person. And actually, if you're listening to someone with great care over a long period of time, it is exhausting. Listening genuinely listening is demanding and listening to God can be equally difficult it can be hard to listen to God and to pay attention to his word and to particularly hard to listen to God when you think you hear him saying something you'd rather not do God can speak clearly but if we're not listening carefully we can genuinely miss his way for our lives. And I think we're beginning to learn just a few things as a church about how important it is to be a listening church. Not a talking church, not just a busy church, but a church that listens to the Father and asks, Father, what are you asking us to do together and on our own? And these are really, it's really a talk about the dynamics of how God works in our life. Now, tonight's reading on first appearing looks a bit of a bag of bits. 
It looks a, a series of seemingly random points that Jesus seems to be making, as if Luke pulled them together from all over the place. But in reality, I think it's a talk about listening, or rather hearing God speak and then doing what he asks of us. If you look at verse 18 in the passage, it's very plain. Take care how you listen. Take care how you listen. Consider carefully, as it puts it in this version, how you listen. And the flow of thought seems to go back to earlier on in the chapter and to verse 10, where Jesus explained that the purpose of his parables was both to reveal truth to the spiritually responsive and, can you believe he said this, to conceal truth from the spiritually superficial, frankly, those who weren't bothered. Jesus does not want his disciples to think that his main thing was to be mean and to conceal truth. But at the same time, it's really important that we understand that light, when it comes from God, uh, both throws light on what we need to see and throws light on what we need to get rid of. Jesus' teaching not only lights up the truth, it also exposes some of the bad stuff that lurks in the dark corners of the human heart, verse 17. Therefore, every one of us must take care how we listen so that we respond obediently to Jesus' teaching rather than shrink from it because it tells us something we'd rather not hear. If we respond obediently, says these, this passage of scripture, we will receive more light. And if if we ignore it, then what light we have can atrophy and be taken away from us. And then, so I'm preaching the whole sermon in three minutes, then we'll go into depth. Luke then inserts a story all about mothers and brothers, verses 19 to 21, to underline the importance of living by Jesus' teaching. And the key to being close to Jesus is not about family ties or best mates, but doing what Jesus says. This means that any person, Jew or Gentile, male or female, can be closer to Jesus than his natural mother and brothers were. The way to be close to Jesus is to listen carefully to his word with a view to making it happen in your life. And as in the parable of the sower, which we had last week with David, there is both an encouragement and a warning in those verses. And I just want to go back over a point I've said here and just apply this to our teenagers in particular. I actually have just said the key to being close to Jesus is not family ties or best mates, but doing what Jesus says. And rightly, one of the great things about being in your teens is having a peer group. And the support of that peer group can be really important to you. But I think what Jesus is saying is, even when we're teens, even when we've got a bunch of mates, there are times when what your mates say is bad news, and you need to go in another direction. That's a tough call. It's true at every age, but for teenagers, just take that in and work it through. So listening to Jesus and doing what he says is at the very heart of this talk. And if you were getting your head around what David was trying to say to us last Sunday night, I think he was on the same page. So verses 16 and 17 then make the point that God's truth is revealed in Jesus. Verse 18 applies it by stating that we must listen carefully or that very truth will one day come back 
and bite us or judge us. And then verses 19 to 21 illustrates the point that obedience to Jesus and his word comes out as our number one priority. Now, if you must fall asleep, that's the whole sermon. But actually, I'd like to plumb it in a bit more detail. So let's get down to just a little more detail. Can we move it on? It's not behaving. There you go. Okay, then, verses 16 and 17. God's truth is revealed, or rather lit up, in Jesus' teaching. No one lights a lamp uh, and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. The main purpose of Jesus' teaching is not to entertain us, not to inform us, but to show God's way for our lives. And verses 16 and 17, says a lot of the writers, uh, is a call to the disciples to function as light. Jesus talks similarly in Matthew 5, where Jesus uses the illustration of the light on the lampstand and then applies it by telling us to let our light shine before men. We had a bit of a song about that this morning. But the lamp or the lampstand illustration seems to be one of those that Jesus uses lots of time and it has different meanings. And what he's saying here is Jesus' teaching is the light or the lamp that is put on the lampstand. It's our standard. It's what we need to keep our eyes on. His words are not given to hide God's truth, but to make it plain for those who want to live by it. There's lots of stuff I don't understand about being a Christian, to be honest. I've been a Christian a really long time. And I wonder sometimes why people who've been Christians a really long time have not got very far. Just some people. And I think the dynamic about that is in this passage of Scripture. If you don't use it, you lose it. If you don't obey the word, live it out, practice it, embody it practically... It just kind of dies on the vine. You can't come to church, hear God's word, and just walk out the door unchanged. It either makes a difference. You either use it or you lose it. Now, this morning, part of Chris's sermon was talking about being set free. And as I've tried to think about that, as I've been mulling it over for the rest of the day, I think that if you don't understand but unless you walk in obedience to what God says is life-giving, you won't be set free. In other words, Christians don't have the kind of God who waves a magic wand, says abracadabra, and everything comes right, just because that's how it is. We cooperate with him. We have to walk closely with God to experience the freedom that Jesus intends for us. I think that's the kind of stuff that's coming out here. And the same light that reveals God's truth to us also, this passage says, exposes the mess in our lives. Either we respond obediently and draw closer to God or we ignore it and we deceive ourselves. What we think we have, it's suggested in this really challenging verse, will one day be taken away from us. I never liked it at school 
when I was found to be wrong. I hated on the page a little cross. And for me, a little cross made me recoil. It made me think, ah, a little cross can be an invitation to get something right. And when God's word points something out that's not great for us, I don't know about you, but I don't like it. I want to do my thing. I've got my life sorted. And yet, really, that's the way, Jesus' way, to be set free and to have life. So don't, don't turn back, turn away, when light shines on something that's not great in your life. So how do these verses work, verse 16 in particular? Well, this thing's working. Yep, that's the kind of little lamp Jesus was talking about. Tiny little thing with a bit of a wick in it and some oil inside. Now, such a tiny little lamp like that would be useless if it was hidden under the bed or under a bucket. It needs to be out there doing its work. It had a very practical function. Without it, in houses where there were no electricity, they'd wander around at night with this little thing. And if you didn't have one, if like in our houses, the electricity goes off, you'd bang your shins, you'd fall over the kids' toys as you were moving around in the dark and stuff like that. And what it's saying is, Jesus' word is there to set us free. And when we ignore it, we're bumbling around in the dark. We're knocking our shins on things that are doing us no good. And so in the same way, like that little lamp, God has given us the Bible, including the teaching of Jesus, to shed light on how we're meant to live so that we don't grope around in the darkness making a mess of things. Sometimes we might, well, if you're, if you're older, you might want to know the answer to this, but if you're younger, you might want to know, who am I going to marry? What sort of person might I marry? The Bible doesn't tell you who you're going to marry, but it does give you some answers on the kind of person you should look for if you're a Christian. It tells you to marry someone who leads a God-centered, Christ-centered life. It actually talks about not being unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. His will is that we should spend our, our lives serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever we do to earn a living, we're to seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. So it's not necessarily just the job you do, but how you go about the job you do that Jesus is really interested in. We are to be morally pure because his will is that we're gradually changed to be more and more like him. And these are principles for right living that the Bible speaks very clearly about. And if you're a bit like me with my school books, you'd rather debate it. You'd rather say, do we really have to do this? Isn't it okay to do my own thing? Can't I make my own mind up? Yeah, you can. But Jesus says you either use it or lose it. You either obey my word and become free. Or you can be a Christian for 40 years and frankly go nowhere. So Jesus' teaching can show up, says verse 17, our hidden or dark side. 
So then, next point, I like this illustration. Not listening and obeying can make us losers. He's not a happy bunny, is he? Jesus said, therefore, take care how you listen, for whoever has, to him shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. I didn't realize it when I was a teenager. I was quite new as a Christian in my teens. I had a girlfriend at the time, and I was really attached to this girl. And um, I didn't realize that there were other girls who actually fancied me. But they kept away because I'd already got a girlfriend. That was a good thing to do, I suppose. But in one sense, in one sense, I thought, how can you be so blind as to see what's going on there? We miss out sometimes because we don't really see and pay attention to all that's going on around us. And what Jesus is really saying is here, if we really listen, if we observe what he's saying, if we look at what's really happening, we will be given more light, more understanding. Listening carefully to God's word involves a number of things. I'm just going to mention three. Firstly, listening carefully means taking the time to read the Bible and meditate on its meaning. And again, it surprises me how many people have been to church for donkey's years and are clueless about the Bible. Just clueless. They don't know the way around it at all. I mean, I don't, know they can, I don't mean they can quote every verse there. I mean, they're just clueless. As a teenager, I don't think I've been a Christian 12 months. And I found myself ministering to a lady in her 80s who had been to church all her life. She was a Christian woman. But she was clueless on some of the basics. And it meant that as she was coming toward the end of her life, she had no assurance that she was truly a child of God. God didn't want that for her. God doesn't want it for you. Listen, don't lose out. Listening to what Jesus says is really important. Doing it is vital. And secondly, listening carefully means always looking for Christ in the word, in the scriptures. What is Jesus saying to me in this passage? If we were to go right to the end uh, of Luke's gospel, there's two men on the Emmaus road. And what it says there is this. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. He talked to ignorant men about what God had done through raising Jesus from the dead. And it took him a while to get it. And finally, let's be quick over this. Listening carefully always means applying God's word to my own heart and my own life. When Paul had his amazing Damascus Road experience, there were two things he put to Jesus. Who are you, Lord, and what shall I do? Who are you? Why have you got authority in my life? And what do you want me to do for you? And so again, as I draw this bit to a close, I simply want to say this. The Bible is there to be lived, not simply thought about. When I taught in a vicar factory, most of the, fa the faculty were far more academically qualified than I was by a long way.
They could quote the Greek and the Hebrew and their nuanced understanding of theology and scripture left me standing. We had times when I used to say to the students, you've been doing such and such in your class. What was that all about then? Because I studied theology a long time before that. And it wasn't because I was thick, but I was in an academic environment where understanding really seemed to matter. But understanding, without the liberating fact that when you understand God's truth and live it out, then you're set free. Then you find life. Then you're on to something. And the point of telling you that tonight really is this. What we know about God is there to live by, not just to be able to tell a story. The whole point of scripture is summed up in two great commandments. Love God and love your neighbor. And people have said about our verse of the year, well, it's no good if people do nothing about it. I suppose that's true. So get on with it. Don't wait for the vicar to tell you what to do. Don't wait for the wardens to tell you what to do. Love God with all your passion, your prayer, and your intelligence. And as you do that, see what happens with your relationship with God this year. See if it doesn't set you free in new ways that are really life-giving. And we come toward the very end of the passage and the end of the sermon, where Jesus is talking about mothers and brothers and all that kind of stuff in verses 19 to 21. And this, I think, is telling us some relationships are more important than others. Luke drives home the point with this incident in Jesus' family coming to visit him. It's actually also in Mark. It's also in Matthew. And he, he uses the story to show that the key to a relationship with Jesus is not who we're related to, but who we follow. Those who obey him, he says, are truly Jesus' family. Jesus was not sitting light to family and relationships. He lived in a culture in which your mum and your dad and your brothers and sisters were really very important. But he was making a really important point. Although those relationships are really, really important, there is a relationship that matters more. And what you do with that relationship matters supremely. God must come first, even more important than family. And peer pressure and relationships can mess this up. Our best mates can get in the way of what God wants for us in our lives. Our husbands and our wives can get in the way of what God wants for our lives. It doesn't mean he doesn't want us to honour our husbands if we've got one, or our wives. It doesn't want us to diss our mates, but it does mean you need to know that the main thing is our relationship with God. And Jesus elsewhere told his disciples, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my father. And I will love him and will really show myself to him. So if you want Jesus to show himself to you and to be real in your life, don't just go to prayer ministry in a corner and think something magic is going to happen. Think that the Holy Spirit works as you engage with God, as you attend to his word, and something dynamic starts to happen, and God's life comes on you. That's how it works. There's nothing weird about it. The Spirit and the word work together. So let me end then, just by way of conclusion. 
Sometimes people, never in Aldridge Parish Church, complain that reading God's word or listening to being, being preached is really boring. We never have any boring sermons here, do we? We do have boring sermons. So I want you to imagine something happened for a minute. I want you to imagine that you just heard that you were the beneficiary, i.e. someone who was going to be left a load of money in someone's will. A real big fat dosh of cash. Now when you went to see the solicitor who was going to tell you how much you'd got, do you think you'd be bothered whether they were boring or not? I think what would really matter is you'd want to find out how much cash you were getting. Jesus is offering us life and freedom and turning stuff upside down. Some preachers are so boring. Sometimes bits of the Bible are so hard to get your head round. But if you want life, if you want the riches of the kingdom of heaven, listen in, folks, and do what it says. And if I've understand, understood this ragbag of bits that Jesus has been talking about here, all bits lumped together, he says, listen in. And when you've listened in, do it and let me change you in the process. Amen.